I'll sing who breaks the power. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings? Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King above all kings. And who rules the nations with truth and justice? Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory. The King above all kings. This is amazing. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me I sing worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb who was slain and worthy is the king who conquered the grave Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who conquered the grave. And worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who conquered the grave. And worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And worthy is the King who conquered the grave. And worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you cross you would lay down your life that I would be set free 
Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you would lay down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Jesus, I sing. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. I count, and I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now, you won't fail me now in the waiting, the same God who's never lame is working all things out, you're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. And I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never lame is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes. I will and I choose to praise to glorify glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against and I choose to praise to glorify glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against and I choose to praise to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. And I choose to praise, to glorify.
glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. Yes, Lord, this morning we give you praise and glory. And uh, Lord, the world is in the valley right now, but as Pastor Tim said, this is not outside of your control. You understand everything that is happening and you are sovereign over everything. But you still call us to seek you, to pray to you, to ask for your favor and your guidance. So Lord, we're thankful that we can be together this morning in person and online. And we're thankful that we're singing this morning together and singing about our what our heart's desire is, which is that yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. So Lord, where we're at each individually, would you please meet us and please lift us up as we lift you up in praise, God. We thank you for this time of worship. Ask your hand, Pastor Doug, as he speaks to us. We look forward to hearing your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. What a delight to have you here today. And what a delight to have you with us through live stream. We are blessed. What a big step. I hadn't realized it had been so many weeks, Tim. That's, uh, that's an amazing thing. Um, I have to tell you one other thing that, from a speaker's perspective, that really helps, and however you see this, if you would have been here the last couple weeks when, when, when we spoke, Don had this place set up like uh, it was a runway for a, for a plane, you know, and it was very, it was like a triangle and was like, so we could move about this far. That was pretty much it. Right. And, and for some of us, that's more of a struggle, but he tells me we can extend it a little bit more now. So I, I feel like an animal being let out of the cage. Um, so, um, so look out who knows what happens when I growl. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn over to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 16 all the way down to the end of chapter 19, 1938. It's really a, a unit, um, <clears throat> and being that we only sang three songs, that gives me a little bit more time. Now, I, I'll still try to wrap it up in about 45 minutes or, or so, or maybe less, but highly, highly unlikely. Um, so turn there, and as you do, let's, let's go ahead and look to the Lord again in prayer. Um, I have to say, it's, been, it's, it's a great joy to hear the people of God singing together. Thank you, Carmelo, for leading us. That was a great joy. So let's, uh, let's pray to our blessed Lord. 
Father, we, as your people, have much to be thankful for. This holiday season, Lord, we do thank you for our nation and for our heritage. We have, you have been extremely gracious to this nation in so many ways. However, Lord, we, we know that we must continue to grow as a nation in wisdom, in love, in courage, in law and order, and in extending equal justice for all. Father, we pray in these areas as we as Christians approach these areas. We pray for a spirit of tolerance, respectful dialogue among each of our citizens. We pray for deliverance from intimidation, manipulation, violence, and cowardice. So, Father, we, we, we do thank you that we're Americans. But even more deeply than that, we thank you that we're Christian. Because at the very core of who we are, Lord, is that we know Christ. For it is that reality that brings perspective to our nationality, our ethnicity, our socioeconomic status, whatever, Lord. At our core, we are Christian. Help us as your church to model love in our interpersonal relationships, even in areas of disagreement. So again... At the very core of our hearts, Lord, we bless your name because we know Jesus Christ. We bless your name because we are forgiven followers of his. Not perfect, not home yet, but we are yours. And for that, we rejoice. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So here we are this weekend celebrating our nation's birth on the one hand and critiquing its current progress at the same time. And different folks emphasize different aspects of that, don't they? Emotions run deep as justice has become a very, very important term for our culture. My concern with any of these issues is that we don't approach them merely at the horizontal level as if there is no God. Do you see? And so whatever side you come down there, it is possible to come at those issues of justice from, frankly, a very secular humanistic perspective, whichever side you come down. And what I want to do today, and it's in God's providence. I mean, I didn't choose this text. It's just the next text. So we just go with the text. We have a picture of God's justice in this world. And what we find is the way God relates to the world, to those that know him, to those that don't know him, that must be the controlling factor, issue, that shapes how we see anything at the horizontal level. Do you see? The one must inform the other. And I'm not going to talk about the outworking of that today so much because this text deals with this. But I want you to know the ultimate issue of justice is the justice of God that we must deal with. So as we come to this text, 
It's a large text. I want you to watch for a couple things, because there's a bunch of interesting characters along the way. Some of the minor characters I'm just not going to have time to treat. Okay, it is what it is. But as we talk our way through this, here's what I want you, want you to see. I want you to see God and his relationship to so- the Sodomites, Sodom and Gomorrah, the people of Sodom. I want you to see that. And what does that teach us about God and his relationship to the world around us? I also want you to watch as we look at God's relationship with Abraham. A righteous man. One who is righteous because of his faith. A forgiven follower. A faithful forgiven follower. I want you to see what we can learn about him and his relationship with God. And then I want to look at God and his relationship with Lot. Lot is a righteous man. They have the explicit ways he's described in 2 Peter chapter 2. Who would have ever used that word for Lot? However, at his very core, he was one who believed in God and Yahweh, which made him unique in that culture. Now, he was more of an unfaithful follower of God. I got it. I got it. But nonetheless, he was in relationship with God. It's an amazing thing. So maybe you're kind of like Lot. Maybe you're kind of like Abraham. Maybe, I doubt it in this group, but, but, but as we look out and you're watching in, maybe you're closer to, the, to, to people from Sodom and Gomorrah. So I don't know where you put yourself, but as we talk our way through this text, we're going to be looking at all those relationships. And then at the end, I want to come back and just make a couple comments about those relationships. And then I'll let you go. We're going to walk through the story. We'll see what the New Testament actually says about some of this text. And then we're going to make a couple applications. And then we can go. Fair enough? All right. Well, like it or not, that's what we're doing. Okay, so I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm just—I'm not asking permission. I'm just informing. Okay, just, just so we're kind of clear on. The, no, I—I I, I got it. I got it. So, so come with me into your text, if you would, to Genesis chapter 18, beginning here at verse 16. Um, this is remember, if you were with us last week, God has appeared to Abraham again in chapter 17 and 18 twice, and in the seven, second appearance. Not only has he promised Abraham, Abraham, you are one who follows me. Not perfectly. <laughs> Look at next, next week's text, okay? Not perfectly, but certainly. And, and Abraham, I'm going to do something in your life that only I can do. And you will ultimately be a blessing beyond your own life in a way that only eternity will ever show us. You see, so that's kind of one trajectory. Well, right at the end of that, after Abraham has met God, what we call a theophany, God actually appearing as a human with two angels. So there's three of them. When the the conversation is done, we're picking up with verse 16 of chapter 18. And you're going to find this really interesting discussion between God and Abraham. Watch what happens. Verse 16, when the men got up to leave, the three men, two angels, this theophany of God, they they looked down toward Sodom. 
And this entire text now is shifting gears and looking at that, that, that particular town. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Here, here's what's amazing, folks. God could have just said, okay, Abraham, you're good. We're out of here. We're about doing something, okay? God is so gracious to his people that he invites us into his heart for what he's doing in this world. It's an amazing thing. Both, both things that, that make us shudder a little bit and things that bring us joy all at the same time. So what happens? Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. God says, I want to invite Abraham in. He's not a perfect man, but he's mine. And he's seeking to walk faithfully before me, invest in his children when they come, and the next generation as much as he can, and allow that legacy to run on in a way that only God can ultimately develop. Verse 20, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great And their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that reached me. If not, I will know. Now, just a clarification there. Is this text telling us that God's not in the know? You know, this guy's like, hey, I've heard some stuff about Sodom. Like, I I have no idea. Whatever. Uh, find out and let me know because, you, know, you know, I do a lot of things, but I can't watch that too at the same time. Is, I mean, is that what the text is telling us? In the scripture so often, we have what is called anthropomorphisms, which are descriptions that God makes of a situation to teach a, a rhetorical point. And, and God is entering into our experience, and here's what he's ultimately saying in this text. Abraham... I mean, God knows what's going on in Sodom. Their outcry has come up. He knows it. But he wants Abraham to know that he's going to send those angels there. And everything he does for that nation, for that city and the cities around will be absolutely just because God acts just on the facts. He will know all the details. God does not function in this world uh, in a way that's inconsistent with the facts and reality. He functions Totally with reality. Does that make sense? Well, Abraham's listening to all this. And Abraham knows just how perverted, immoral, unloving, unjust, and anything else you want to put on that list, those nations, those cities are. But he's deeply concerned. Because he knows lots there. Lot's got all kinds of problems, fair enough. But he is a follower of Yahweh. Not not a very good one, but he is. 
Verse 22. The men turned away and went toward Sodom. And Abraham's going like, oh boy, things are happening. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So it's Abraham before God. Then Abraham approached him and said, will, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He's telling us he knows about the character of this city. What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Which is the title for this sermon today. See, Abraham, Abraham, through his prayer of intercession, is not only going to make an appeal to God, but he's going to learn more about the heart of God, isn't he? Because every time he says, how about this, how about this, how about this, God says, okay, okay. Because God is not some capricious God that comes along and says, I'm sick and tired, I'm just going to wipe everybody out and I don't care about it. Is that our God? That's not our God at all. God looks down and he knows who is truly has a relationship with him, who is righteous. That's how Lot is described. And Abraham is coming to learn all of this as he's talking with God. And he says, God, I, I know that you're just, but if you wipe them out, what about the, the righteous people there too? And I guess he's got his calculator out. We don't know how big Sodom is. I mean, we, we, we've not found Sodom archaeologically yet at this point. And there's debate. Maybe it's still covered by the Dead Sea. And, and there's, there's all kinds of debates about that. And, and I was talking with one of my uh, Old Testament profs who's writing a commentary on Genesis. And so I often will bounce thing, things off of him as I'm talking through this. And, and um, I said, John, like... What do you think how big Sodom is? I know we don't know, but if you had to guess, it's probably in the hundreds. Could it be a thousand? It could, but highly unlikely it's any bigger than that. But you're still talking about a lot of people. And, and Abraham's doing his calculator and says, there's, there's got to be 50 righteous in that city. You know, it's a 5% return. Or whatever, I, yeah, so, something. You know, he's, he's, he's just working it out. Look at how God responds. The Lord said, verse 26, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Wow. God's justice is always tempered by his mercy. It's, it's never out of control. It's always purposeful. It's always consistent. It's always appropriate. It's always complete. And Abraham's listening to that, and all of a sudden he starts thinking to himself, hmm, that 50 number is kind of high. <laughs> and it's, it's fun as you read the rest of this text, what you find is he just keeps going down down, down, doesn't he? God, um, 
How about 45? I will do it for 45. 40? Do it for 40. I don't mean to push you. Like 30? I will do it for 30. I do mean to push you a little bit, I suppose. But uh, 20? I will do it for 20. And Abraham thinks, look, look, look. I'm just doing the math. There's Lot, his wife. He's got two daughters. They're engaged to two guys. That's six. There's got to be four more. Right? God, I won't ask you anymore. Will you do it for 10? Uh, 10. And look at God's response. There in verse... Well, in verse 32, Abraham says, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? God answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And Abraham thought, Well, that one's got to be in the bag. Here's the fascinating thing we're going to find, because we're going to come back to Abraham at the end of chapter 19. We're going to find that God does not answer his prayer and does answer his prayer all at the same time. Because God will act justly and will deliver his people both at the same time. Abraham thought it had to be one or the other. You either wipe out the hole and take people with you, or you let the city remain. That's it. God says, oh no, you raise issues that are important, and I will bring balance to that in the way that I ultimately do this. Does that make sense? So that's one individual in relationship with God and his dealings with the world around. God invites us in to be intercessors for a world that's going awry. Folks, our problem is much deeper than even the issues that are being discussed in our, in our, in our day. Our deepest problem, I, 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 you know, you get on issues related to racism, and I understand that, but you know what Thinkbinder's ultimate problem is? Selfism. I'm a selfist. It can manifest itself in all kinds of ists. But at my core, I love myself more than I love God and more than I love others. Do you see? And the gospel is about freeing me there. And not just choosing one slice that I can control, but not the other. It goes much deeper and changes me there so that it brings perspective here. Do you see? That's how it works. So God invites Abraham in to be an intercessor. And to more deeply understand his heart and his ways with the people around us. The story shifts in chapter 19, and we go to Sodom. I basically would want to break this section down into kind of three movements, verses 1 to 29. I want to talk about what happens when the angels enter the city. I want to talk about about them leaving the city. And I want to talk about God destroying the city. 
So we want to kind of walk through the story as they come in and they're there. And, how, and, and, and they leave. And, and as we do, primarily I want you to ask yourself, what do we learn about Lot? A righteous man. A true believer in Yahweh. But not a faithful man. But a righteous man. Listen to what the text says. Verses 1 to 14. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. And and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Which tells me he has some kind of significance if he's there. Is he, does he have some political clout? Perhaps. Uh, economic clout because he's a wealthier man? Perhaps. But you don't sit in the city gate unless you're a person with some influence. Okay? When he saw them, he got up to meet them, bowed down with his face to the ground, and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. Now, I don't know all the stuff that's behind all this, but let me just suggest something to you. Lot knows his culture. Lot knows how wicked his culture is. And he knows if he's in the city gate and two visitors come walking in, He better get to them before others do. Do you see? So you got to give him high marks on this one. He's trying to show hospitality for people who he doesn't want to be used and abused. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? So he invites them back. Hey, come stay the night. Got to leave in the morning. He doesn't even know who they are. He He think they're just in town and then they're leaving. He's worried. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. The two angels say, no, no, we're fine. We'll just, we'll stay here for the night. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. So it seemed like a pretty good night. Had him back, shared some stories, had some food. Said, why don't you guys get some sleep and I'll see you in the morning. Well, it doesn't go exactly the way he planned, does it? Verse 4. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Do you see, there's no wiggle room there. I mean, all the guys show up. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can know them. That's euphemism for saying so that we can do what we want sexually with them throughout the night. You say, well, this sounds like homosexuality. Yes, you're right. But it's not just uh, perverted sexual practice. It's excessive perversion and expression of that, isn't it? I mean, there's no boundaries for them sexually. None. And people are not objects to be loved. People are objects to be used and abused for the excesses of my own desires. That's it. 
Tells you a lot about a culture, doesn't it? We're going to also know when, when, when Sodom is referred to in the book of Ezekiel, what goes on with that is a lack of concern and care for the poor and the needy in the community. So it's all about using people and abusing people in any way you can imagine. That's kind of how it works. Lot goes outside to meet them and shuts the door behind him and says, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And I wish he would have stopped there. Because he identifies the practice for what it is. This is wrong. It's his next statement that troubles me. He makes a concession. He figures with the mob, if you make a concession, you'll placate them. Doesn't actually go so well, does it? Look what happens. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. They're virgins. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. I have to tell you, folks, I don't even understand that comment. You come for one of my daughters, everything's on the table for me. I'm just telling you. I'm just, I'm just telling you. And you feel the same way, don't you? Come after my child? Like, what are you thinking? Hey, hospitality is really important. And I'm going to protect these people. Okay, I got it. I got it. But his, in his thinking, he has been so perverted in his thinking by the world around him in the area of sexuality that he's able actually to say, take my daughters. It's only for a night. They'll be okay in the morning. Yeah, I know they're engaged to two guys, but hey, whatever. Just kind of go for it. Is it possible for Christians to be so part of the world around them that they don't even think clearly anymore? Oh, you better believe it, folks. For all of us, we have to be very, very careful. Wow. I, I read that and I, I, I just shudder. Verse 9. Thank you, Lot, for your kind words. You're right, this is really wicked. We'll see you in the morning. Does anybody's text say that one? No, no. This group cannot be placated. Verse 9. Get out of our way. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. Lot, you're not even from here originally. Okay, you've got some clout. You think you're better than us, and you can judge us? What they didn't realize is they're already under the judgment of Yahweh. We'll treat you worse than we do them. We're going to get those guys, and when we're done, we're doing it to you too, pal. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. I mean, he, he goes out to placate them, and when it's all said and done, they don't want any of it. They want what they want regardless. And this guy is backed up against the door. They're pointing fingers at him, and they're saying, you're next. Wow. The man that goes out to protect his guests will be protected by his guests. See what happens next in the text? 
But, but the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. So they've entered into this city, and we're at this turning point where the only hope for Lot and his family at this point is this judgment upon these individuals who are blinded. At least for a period of time, they're blinded. We don't know how long. Enough so that they eventually wander away. Next movement. They've entered the city. Now they must leave the city. Look here, if you would, with me at verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? And remember, Abraham has been thinking, there's got to be ten. Family, relatives, couple friends that are followers of Yahweh. There's got to be some, right? The angel says, get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. It's true. God's judgment often moves slowly. But when he acts, he acts completely. That's God. People may not like it, but it's reality. It's his world. It's not our world. But it's always mixed with thoughtfulness and mercy. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law. His, his daughters were supposed to marry these guys, which is also crazy. He was ready to give up his two virgin daughters who were already espoused to two men. Crazy stuff. Anyway, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry, get out of this place because... The Lord, Yahweh, is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. What does that tell you about Lot? He certainly believed in God. He heard what they were saying. He believed in Yahweh. He went and he said, look, I believe this. Yahweh is a righteous God and he's going to act. You got... (laughs) Oh, that is a really good one, almost, to be father-in-law. Um, oh, man, uh, did you hear it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Can you say it again? I mean, they, they thought the guy was joking. Which means he had espoused his daughters to men who had no interest in Yahweh. His thinking was all messed up. He was part of the culture around him. Yes, he was... He was a follower of Yahweh of sorts. He he believed in Yahweh. didn't follow him terribly well. So all that remains then is Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. Abraham asked for ten at best, at best, and there's questions about the other three, aren't there? But at best, you're looking at four that are delivered. Verse 15. With the coming of dawn, which tells me all this stuff took place during the night. 
Angels talked to them. They saw the sons-in-law. They pleaded with them, which means they went to their house. I mean, I don't know, but for hours they're doing that. But now it's dawn and there's no time left. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away with the city, when the city is punished. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get warnings like that, I'm kind of ahead of the person that said it. You know what I mean? I mean, if you were, if you were I don't know, somewhere and they said, um, there's, there's a, a mist, a poisonous mist that's now entering this area. You need to leave. Man, I'm in my car and gone quick, aren't you? But not this group. And I understand it to a point. It was home. I get that. Verse 16. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hand of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. <laughs> do you ever do that with your kids? Like sometimes when my kids were really, really young and we're at a certain place and you know, they're tired and they're just going, you know what I mean? And you're going like, oh, I just got to get this. Come on, we're going here right now. And the way they walk is like this. Do you know what I mean, right? Look, um, yeah, I've seen it six times with six different individuals over an extended period of time. But anyway, with my six kids. Um, what do you do as a parent? You know what I would do? Grab them by the hand, and I'm pulling. And you know what they're doing? They're going like, right? You, you, know, you know. And that's how I picture this text. Let's get out. Everything's going to be destroyed. Let's go. And they have to pull him. Wow. What a pull from the world around. But they come. And the angel says in verse 17, as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, one of the angels said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. There's all these cities. There's these five cities we learned about back in chapter 14 that are all together. And, and God is going to bring down something catastrophic. What was it? An earthquake, volcanic, I don't know. But it was, it, was, it was fire and brimstone. That's how the text frames it. And it will literally wipe out that entire plain where those five cities and towns are. And God says, Flee to the mountains. And Lot says, come on, honey, let's run. Not exactly. Look what he says. Verse 18. But Lord, Lot said, says this to a merciful God that's trying to deliver him. No, my Lord's please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. So that's good. That's good, Lot. That, that, that's high. That's good marks. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. What, what disaster? I won't make it there on time? No, God's going to give them time for that. I think he's saying, I've become a rural, an urban guy. That's the lifestyle I know. That's what I understand. I go up there, this entire disaster will ultimately result in my death, 
We won't be able to make it. I need city life. Look, here is a town near enough to run to. It's small, so it's, you know, they're wicked, but they're not as, you know, I mean, they're proportionally as wicked, but it's a smaller group, you know. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. I I, I know you said you're going to wipe out all five. Could you spare the little one? I mean, just. And folks, here's the amazing thing to me when I read this text. I don't know. Aren't you glad that, that, that I'm not a divine being, rightly so? Because I don't think I'd respond so nicely to this one. I would say, I would say, Doug Finkbeiner would say, okay, you want to go to Zoar? Go ahead. But you're going to get wiped out too. But go ahead. Come on, Gabriel, we're out of here. <laughs> Something like that. Is that what God does? Again, if you don't see his mercy in here, then you haven't slowed down to read the text. Verse 21, he said to him, very well, I will grant you this request. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. This is why the town was called Zoar. Isn't that just like God? They act like kids. They fight it back. God says, flee, go. Go to the mountains. No, I don't want it. Daddy, I don't want to do that. Can you see that? I mean, I see my kids all, I see me all over here too, but my kids. No, 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 God, can't we do that? Whatever. God says, okay, I'll let you. I'll preserve that one little city actually. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And when they have gotten to Zoar and they're finally there, this great and gracious God, for he is both, he is both holy and merciful all at the same time in the way that it's very hard for us to balance. But he waits till they're there because God knows how to deliver the righteous. Look at verse 27, 20, 23. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Do you remember when the angel said, flee? He actually said two things. Flee to the mountains, and don't look back. Do you remember when we had that eclipse? What was that, a couple years ago? Didn't you want to look at that like crazy? Even without those funny glasses we had to wear? So we all wore the funny glasses, but, you know, when that eclipse was coming up, before I put my glasses on, I just wanted to go, like, just a little one, right? So, so I mean, I, I understand these things. And this, this doesn't mean that, that, you know, Lot's wife hears 
about all the, you know, she's hearing all the destruction going around and she just kind of just peeks. No, her look back is a look back and saying, I regret losing that. I want that, which is why Luke 17 says, people who try to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for the kingdom will find it. Luke 17, her name is mentioned, and Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Do you see? God is merciful, but God is God. And so you don't play with him, you submit to him. Early the next day, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. And he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from the furnace. And part of what he must have been thinking at that point is, was God faithful? I I asked him to preserve that city for ten people. Abraham, there weren't ten. It wasn't even close. But I did deliver, and preserve those who are righteous. Do do, do you see? Abraham thought there was two options. God said there's a third option in which I am faithful to who I am both. And he he acts accordingly. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, folks, hear this. He remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Abraham, God answered your prayer. Not exactly the way you thought. How often do we go to God in prayer? We know what his character's like and we think we haven't figured out what that looks like in a particular situation. God, because you're this and you're this, that must mean you got to do this or that because that's it. And God says, I am that and I will do something, but it's not what you think. But I'm answering your prayer in accordance with who I am. Do you see? The end of the chapter. Let me just summarize. Verse 30 to the end of the chapter. About the time you figure that the whole thing's done. Lot, who told the angel, let me go to Zoar because I'm afraid of going to the mountains. Now, the Bible tells us Lot leaves Zoar and goes to the mountains because he's afraid. So now you're willing to risk that, yeah. And it may be because Lot just sees this is the same cesspool. Same thing's going to happen here. Whatever his motivation, he goes to the mountains. And his two daughters, his two virgin daughters, who he was going to hand over and allow them to be abused sexually. Who have the value of the world around them. Think that the most important thing is that we have descendants. And the only way to get descendants is if we sleep with our father. So let's get him drunk as a skunk. Is that a right term? Do they say that? Whatever. Okay. Well, I think I've heard that. I don't know how drunk a skunk is. I've had skunk issues. Anyway, drunk. And while he's drunk, the older daughter sleeps with him. 
The text tells us he wakes up in the morning and he doesn't even remember any of it. So the other daughter says, the older daughter says to the young daughter, hey, why don't you try the same thing tonight? And says exactly what happens. Two nights in a row, ends up sleeping with his daughters, doesn't even remember it. And out of that experience comes the Moabites and the Ammonites who God at some level protects. They're on the east side of the Jordan River but are constantly opposition to the Jews. All coming from Lot. And folks, the name Lot only, end, only comes up again in the Old Testament in this way. The descendants of Lot talking about the Moabites or the Ammonites. And that's it for Lot. You don't hear anything else. Not until you get to the New Testament. And honestly, if that's all I had, I'd kind of question, might question whether I would even call Lot righteous. Except God delivered the righteous. And because Lot was the one delivered, he must have been righteous. So what's all this mean for us? I don't have time. If I had time, I'd love to explore Luke 17 with you. There's only two times in the New Testament that Lot is mentioned. Luke 17 and 2 Peter 2. Two places. Okay. Here's what I would say. I'm going to quote 2 Peter 2 to you because I think it's the point at the end of the day. Peter, as he looks back at this story, says this. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Peter looks back at the story And Peter says, God is amazing. He protects Abraham. Matter of fact, he allows Abraham to enter in to what he's doing. And through prayer, to enter into what God is affecting in this world. Even though it doesn't always work out exactly the way Abraham thinks. God invites us in for that, doesn't he, folks? To what he's doing. Even though we don't fully understand. We get to participate and get to learn more about God in the process. I hope that's where you are. Hope you're a man and a woman, boy and a girl that says, I want to know what God's doing in this world. I I, I want to not just think about what's happening now. I want to think globally and eschatologically what God is doing in the sweep of history, Luke 17, and say, cry out as Luke 18 says, God, we want you to come and bring true justice to this world because this world will never ultimately experience that apart from you. So we cry out for justice specifically for your people who are oppressed. That's the text. That's what, that's what Jesus does with it. That's Abraham. Is Lot delivered? Oh, yeah. Are there consequences when you don't live for him? Oh, yeah. Peter will tell us that his righteous soul was tormented. It actually has the idea where, 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 where his soul is the thing tormenting him. His righteous soul is tormenting him day and night over what he sees. Haven't you been there? On certain kinds of issues, you, you guess, second guess, third guess, and fourth guess yourself. What am I doing here? Why did I do that? What should I have done? A whole host of things. And my guess is, on a consistent basis, 
Lot is looking around, sitting in the gate, and he's saying, what am I doing here? Why wasn't doing, was this a good move? Why did I do this exactly? Lord, why does nobody listen to me? All that stuff is going in, and his soul is constantly saying, did you make the right call? Why did you do this? Is there a way to turn it around? What are you doing right now? Stop it. Is that a way to live? But when God's people compromise, they live with that torment. Because their conscience has been impacted by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit is saying things. And we go, no, 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 no. And, 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 and it's no way to live. And when we live that way, does that mean we're going to go to hell? No. We're God's people. But there's consequences. And in his case, he lost his wife. And for all practical purposes, he lost his two daughters. Lost everything he had. When he fled, it wasn't like he took all his animals with him. He just fled. And it was all gone. And this text tells us God is God. He will bring justice. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you say, well, I'm not as bad as those people at Sodom. You may not be, but Jesus said this. Jesus said in Matthew 11. He's looking at the Jews in his day, and he says, if what I am saying to you was said to the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Woe to you, for you are in a worse state than them. Do you see? If you don't know Christ, if you've never submitted to him, trusted him as your Lord and Savior, there's one option for you. It's judgment. You may get an inkling of it in this world. You'll get it in full force in the world to come in. God doesn't want that. So submit to him. Become a forgiven follower of Christ as you trust in what he's done for you on the cross. But for, for the Christians here, I don't know if you're more like an Abraham or a lot. I think for most of us, we kind of go back and forth. Will you renew in your heart, God? I want to be so immersed in you, your word, your music, everything about you, so that I know you better. I can pray more intelligently. I can trust you for what happens rather than become compromised and like the world around me. Folks, you can't do that on your own. But you have the Spirit of God within. And Jesus calls us to be more like Abraham rather than Lot. By the power of his Spirit, for the glory of his name. Father, thank you for your word. This is a sobering text, Father. It's hard. Makes us cringe at points. But Lord, we are in no position to enter into the issues of the world around us if we first of all don't have a biblical worldview that understands you, justice, and mercy from the perspective that we have in the scriptures. May that so overwhelm us, Lord, that it changes the way we see the world around us. It makes us pity and love the people around us. We share the heart 
that you have to extend mercy to them in whatever form that we can. And all of that shapes how we talk and handle the issues of our day. So Father, thank you for your word, which again and again brings us perspective. In Christ's name I pray, amen. God bless you, you're dismissed.